Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and joining me today is absolutely no one. For the first time this season, it is a solo episode. It's a couple of hours out from the Friday night clash to start round seven between the Saints and the Power. This one will be pretty quick just to touch on some of my highlights, some of my lowlights. We'll then have a little chat about the Tasmania uh, news to come out of Tassie. Albanese expected uh, on the weekend to make that announcement official down in Tassie and then start to preview round seven, which has some tantalizing matchups, including Sunday, which should be a blockbuster. Uh, The Saturday doesn't seem quite as exciting. I remember not too long ago when Saturday was quite the quite the day for footy and Sunday was a little bit of a graveyard shift to get. But Sunday afternoon football is quite the exciting time slot, partially because you have teams like Collingwood playing there quite a lot this season, uh, especially over the next few weeks. But we'll start off with a review of the Anzac uh, round. Normally, me and my co-host will give a top highlight and top low light. Uh, however, because it's just me, going to expand that a little bit and talk about a few of my highlights and a few of my low lights. I think highlight number one, the second highest, second biggest crowd in VFL AFL history for a home and away game saw an Anzac Day classic between Collingwood and Essendon and it's a highlight because yes the game is one of the best Anzac Day games ever I thought both teams played really well and there were patches where both teams looked really really poor but it's more so a highlight because of what both teams and what the AFL have also built into one of the great sporting traditions in this country the Collingwood and Essendon Anzac Day clash and to get 95,000 people is a great effort. I'm sure that back in 1995, there was no one who would ever think that they would top the 94,000. They got to that first Anzac Day game, the draw that year, and it's finally been beaten. And I'm so, so thankful that Anzac Day is no longer what it used to be way back in the day, which was Collingwood always smashing Essendon. Um, it's it's always a genuine 50-50 clash the last few years, and I'm, I'm, I thought it was a great day. Um, but beyond that, the the actual day itself and what it means to so many people in this country, I think the AFL and both Collingwood and Essendon always treat it with the respect that it deserves. Um, and I thought it was really well done again to have the cavalcade of uh, of, of former soldiers who have served uh, going around the MCG beforehand, uh, as well as the last post. Always get chills. I've been lucky enough to go to three Anzac Day games uh, so far uh, live and the chills that you get when the last post is being played and that silence before the crowd roars at the end of the Australian national anthem is just absolutely incredible. I reckon you could probably hear a, a baby crying in, in that kind of quiet environment or, you know, seagulls walking. It's, it's, it's incredible and full kudos to every single one of the 95,000 that made that helped to make that game what it was. It was a truly special, special, special effort. Um, my second highlight is the Cats are officially back 
they looked really, really poor the first three weeks and they had two great wins in round four and round five. But let's be completely honest, they were against Hawthorne and West Coast, two teams firmly entrenched in the bottom four. Hawthorne at least seemed to be trying every single week. Uh, if you take the if you take round two out of it, they seem to be trying every single game. Really unlucky to not get a win the last two weeks. We I thought that they were the better I thought they were the better team for large patches of the game against the Crows. Just lacked a little bit of polish and uh, and the Crows with Bogarty one of the best kicks in the competition, nailing that great goal from the pocket. Really unlucky. West Coast, with all their injuries, again, having to field what is basically a waffle side. It's And, and their waffle team getting absolutely hammered as well at the moment. It's not a great indicator of a team doing well that they were able to beat the Hawks and the Eagles comfortably, especially when you consider the fact that they were trailing at halftime against the Hawks, which you would really want to not be happening this year if you're playing Hawthorne. Uh, and they got comfortably beaten by about five or six goals against the Eagles in the second half, the Cats. So this was really their first proper test this season since losing to the Pies and the Blues early on in the year. This was their first kind of chance to really prove themselves against a team that, yes, granted, had had injuries out, missing half of their back line, but were still having a pretty good season up until that point, uh, the Swans. And it is really rare that a grand final uh, rematch of a grand final that was as lopsided as the 2022 grand final was it's rare that the first meeting between the same two teams again the next season is also as lopsided. I mean, you take 2008, the first time that Port Adelaide played Geelong that year in Adelaide, uh, half a year after getting hammered in the 07 grand final, and Port nearly won. They nearly won. Mine was only 10 points or so. Uh, 2014, Swans got hammered by the Hawks in the grand final. First matchup the next year at the MCG, and the Swans actually won. Uh, Adelaide got hammered in 2017 um, against Richmond and beat the Tigers early on the next season. The Giants beat Richmond in 2020 in their only matchup in that shortened season after losing the 2019 grand final to them. It's really rare for a grand final rematch of a grand final that was a shellacking to be another shellacking. It's even more rare even rarer than that, to have that grand final shellacking be by a bigger margin than what the grand final was. If you thought Geelong were dominant in that grand final, they took it up another level against the Swans. And full kudos to the Cats, they could have headed into the game thinking Sydney are missing half of their back line. They don't have any real options up forward. This is going to be a really, really easy victory but they played with the level of clinical professionalism that that we've come to expect from Geelong because it's so rare for them to have that mindset up against up against teams and i really think that since losing that 08 grand final against Hawthorne in an upset it's really rare for Geelong to underestimate their opponents i think and they showed they showed why why they're back in town you know, now we can say they are back in town after a wonderful, wonderful performance 
And I'll say another highlight for me would probably have to be the St. Kilda Football Club. Uh, heartbreaking loss against Collingwood. It was the first time, if you don't count how the Bombers were able to come back and level the scores after being five goals down, it was the first time that a team looked like they really got on top of St. Kilda. Collingwood in round five. Um, the Saints, they seemed a little powerless to kind of stop that swift ball movement from Collingwood once they were able to get it forward. Um, and, I mean, look, credit to the Saints. Same problem that Essendon faced in the last quarter too. But the Saints then nearly came back. They nearly came back. So it was it was a nerve-wracking last few minutes for Collingwood, and that's full credit to St Kilda because they could have just laid down and accepted a five-goal, six-goal loss, and they didn't. Um, but they were coming up against a team in Carlton. Nobody nobody expected St Kilda to be this good. People expected Carlton to be to be in the eight by this time of the year, probably better. They only have a percentage of about 92. But to be in such a dogfight in the first half where, and I'm just double-checking, uh, yep, so the scene here in the scoreline, the Blues were actually in front at halftime. And then to only concede two goals in the second half to kicking six yourselves, shows just how strong their defense is. And people will draw comparisons saying, well, they started 2022 stick up, you know, five and one and they're five and one now. What's the difference? The difference is who they're beating and how they're beating them. It is impossible to play against this system and to put up a high score. I think the highest score they've conceded so far is like 76 points. And that was against Essendon in a win. It's, it's an incredible effort. Um, and I think St. Kilda and, and Essendon are the only two teams to not concede over 100 points so far this season. Um, they play against Port Adelaide in a couple of hours, a Port Adelaide team with a few outs. Um, it should be really fascinating because both of these teams are really difficult to score against uh, Port Adelaide if you you know, don't include their round two loss against Collingwood, which was pretty disastrous. Um, but nevertheless, whatever the result of this game will be tonight, it's a wonderful effort from St. Kilda with the injury list that they have had. It just goes to show how important a good system can be. If you compare that to my number one low light, which is the Carlton Football Club, who has a plethora of great players and sure they have their injuries. Um, Saad back in after a short little stint out with injuries. I don't know if, I don't know the logic behind bringing in injured players off a short little off a short little break like this but you know I'm an outsider I don't work at Carlton um, nor do I pretend to and so they probably have a better understanding of that than I do but when you have your four that the top four disposal getters I believe they all got 30 plus disposals are all Carlton players and yet and yet they were only able to kick 17 points in a half of 17 points in a half of football when you have the two reigning Coleman medalists in 2021 and 2022, I don't understand how Carlton can have the dominant tall forwards that they have. Midfield bulls like Chera and Cripper is in there, Walsh is in there. And some pretty good handy defenders like Jones and Wiedering. He's had a pretty tough week, Wiedering. I don't understand how you can only score 17 points and it's 
And well, I believe I didn't understand it until I watched their ball movement and realized how anemic it was. Kind of almost like Fremantle level ball movement. It's really, really bizarre. Why you wouldn't, when you have those two tall forwards, just kick it in there as quick as possible. Maybe it's because the whole team doesn't feel confident in Mackay's kicking action. And I've got to say, his kicking action is absolutely all over the place. Lloydy, and I can't, I think it was the age that pointed this out. Lloydy, one of the greatest goal kickers of all time, his goal kicking routine was so set that he could kick his normal, throw the grass up in the air, drop punt routine from almost anywhere on the ground, anywhere in the 50. And he would kick it. Mackay, one second will go a check side, next will go around a banana, next will try it on the left, next will try it on the right, next will try it from the drop punt. He can try two kicks from exactly the same spot minutes apart and they would be completely different kicks and they would both they would both miss. He reminds me of King, Max King, last year for St. Kilda in terms of how his confidence just looks completely shot at the moment. You know, he's kicked nine goals through the first six games of the season. And that's pretty terrible. Not that Charlie Kerno's done much better. But they only have nine goals so far. It's pretty abysmal when, especially when you consider the fact that I think three or four of them came against North Melbourne, a team that I could probably kick a bag of goals against. That's how weak North Melbourne's defense is. They've got problems, Carlton. They really do. They play the Eagles this week. You would think that playing against the Eagles waffle team would be the tonic that Carlton need. But truthfully, I honestly think a loss would be better for the Blues because a win especially if it's unconvincing, will paper over cracks that in, in the end will lead to the foundation falling down. You do not need these cracks papered over. You need to address them. Will they be addressed? Will their ball movement be addressed? Will will Mackay's kicking action get better? Will Kerno, you know, like kicking action gets better? Like, I don't know. It remains to be seen with the Blues, but so far they've been a major disappointment Probably not the biggest disappointment of the season, though. That, for me, has to be Fremantle. I tipped them to make the grand final this year. Off the back of what was a great 2022 season, a rollicking victory in the in the uh, elimination final, excuse me, against the Dogs, being so far down, 41 points down, the second biggest comeback in the AFL era in the finals, it was a great, great victory. And I thought that that MCG finals experience against Collingwood, yes, they lost comfortably, but it's a great experience to have. And I thought that it would serve them really well this year going forward. And I thought, okay, they lost a couple of players, but they brought in done players as well. And I thought that that would kind of offset their losses of Logue and of Lob, but perhaps... Lob and Lobe were more important than what I think Fremantle and Fremantle supporters and the rest of the AFL kind of realised to that system. And it's not like Lobe and Lobe have had great seasons at all, but Fremantle looked completely lost without them. The performance against the Bulldogs was so disappointing. From the opening bounce, you go after... Rory Lobb, and that's, you know, sure. You want to go after Rory Lobb, go after Rory Lobb. That's your prerogative. You know, you got to do what you got to do as a captain. But to continue on doing that, 
focusing more on Wob than the footy is such a disappointment. And the fact that it was players getting involved in one passage of play in particular, leaders of Fremantle, players who came to Fremantle in the offseason, doing basically what Lob did, but in reverse, going after Lob like that. There's a passage of play in particular that Riley Beveridge on the round so far with Kane Corns pointed out, which was mind-boggling. The ball comes into Jamara Ugelhagen, 45 metres out, in the half-board flank on the opposite side of the 50 to where Lob is. And all of a sudden, six or seven Fremantle defenders and midfielders who are in their defense turn their back on Jamara Ugelhagen on the play, completely take themselves out of it by doing so, just so that they can have a little bit of a tussle with Rory Lobb. And watching that, you might be thinking, where are Lobb's teammates coming in to help? They're focusing on the play. They're not getting drawn into these childish games that Fremantle wanted to play. The kick from Ugelhagen set it up to about 30 meters out or so. Off hands, all of a sudden, the Fremantle players around Lob realize, oh, there's a game to play. But by that point, Trelaw's got in it and he's kicked a goal over his head. By that point, as Riley Beveridge pointed out, there were only three goals down before that goal was kicked. And from that point on, they went on to lose by almost 50 points. They are lacking leadership. They're lacking maturity. They're lacking a game plan. Even Long Newer seems confused about where to where to go. That the coach from the box, that the coach from the bench, and I'm not blaming that on what's happening at Fremantle. The troubles run deeper. But if your coach can't decide where best to coach, how on earth can he decide the decisions on game day to help coach your team to victory? I don't understand. Like it's it's such a disappointing season so far. And Pierce. He was great last year. I don't know what's happened to him. Maybe it's the burden of captaincy. I don't know what it is, but I think so far he's proven to be the most disappointing captain and, dare I say, the worst captain in the competition so far this season, and that is with Toby Green having a really, really, really down year so far at the Giants. I think Pierce has been the worst captain so far this season. And the next low light, and I really didn't want to talk about this, because uh, it gave me quite a lot of trauma, quite a lot of flashbacks to the grand final, but it has to be the Sydney Swans. Instead of talking about players that were bad or stats from the game, I'm going to highlight how historically significant that loss was. It was Sydney's first time losing by 90-plus points, not just since the long newer era started it was their biggest loss and i'm pretty sure their first loss was by 90 points or more since 1998 since 1998 madonna's ray of light was one of the biggest albums at the time that the swans last lost by more than what they did against Geelong. goes to show how strong the swans have been over the last 25 years that it's been 25 years since they had a loss by 100 points or more in that time. Clubs that are historically bigger, Carlton, Essendon, Richmond, to a lesser extent, Geelong, Hawthorne, uh, Collingwood have had multiple 100-point-plus losses, not to mention what teams like North Melbourne and St Kilda and Gold Coast have gone through recently. It's an incredible 
streak from the Swans. And I can't believe I'm talking about pride after they lost by 93 points, but that's something to be proud of. And that's something that Swan supporters can hold their, uh, hang, hang their hats on. And you might be asking me, how on earth can I put the Swans at only number three, but put Carlton at the number one low light when Carlton only lost by just under four goals. And it's because I think a, a, a Carlton YouTube uh, channel called My Blue Heaven highlights this point very well. And he said, teams like Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, they've had bad losses so far this year, but they are proven teams. They are proven teams. And to quote him directly, this YouTuber, the Swans, the Demons, the Lions, they get it right more often than not. Now, the Swans absolutely deserve every single bit of criticism that they get. Bad losses against Melbourne, bad losses uh, and Geelong probably show the fact that they aren't where they need to be to play finals thus far this season, though it's only six games in. Who knows? Who knows? But it was a pretty bad performance. But we go on to the main story out of the week. It's not Collingwood's incredible comeback against Essendon. It's not the fact that the Cats are back and the Swans are in trouble. It's not Melbourne getting things back on track. 83,000 people at that game too. Second highest ever crowd for the Melbourne, Richmond, Anzac Eve uh, annual clash. Great effort there. It's not that the Suns are now missing their co-captain and they're beating heart and soul for, for a little bit. Thankfully avoided an ACL injury. I'm pretty sure it took Miller. It's not that. It is that. As soon as this weekend, we should be getting from the federal government confirmation that they will cover the funding gap missing in the Tasmania deal so far for their stadium, which means that the final hurdle needed to be cleared for Tasmania to get a team should be jumped this weekend as Albanese heads to Tasmania, I think tomorrow he said he's going to make that announcement uh, from what I've heard on the grapevine. It should be a great moment, and it will be a great moment in Tasmanian history. They have supplied so many great moments in the history of this competition to finally get a team to call their own will be such a great moment. However, with that being said, I should mention comments from James Sicily at Hawthorne. And if you want to highlight a bigger difference between, or I think probably the biggest difference at the moment between a team like Collingwood and a team like Hawthorne, where they're they're both at at the moment, to highlight the difference in their captain's level of maturity and intelligence, emotional intelligence, situational intelligence, not on the field, but off of it. Have a listen to Darcy Moore's speech when accepting the Anzac Day trophy on Tuesday. As a gutted Essendon supporter, as I had my hand, my, my head in my hands, to listen to that speech was incredible. I can't tell you what was incredible about it, but it's one of the greatest speeches I have heard related to footy, if not the greatest footy-related speech I've ever heard. It's so good, and I think it highlights exactly why Collingwood are doing so well at the moment, because they have leaders like Darcy Moore 
with a smart head on his shoulders. Now, do not take this wrong. I am not calling James Sicily stupid. However, it lacked an, a level of intelligence for him to come out and say what he said about Tasmania. And he said that it might be difficult to get players down there. I'm paraphrasing, of course. It might be difficult to get players down there because there's not a lot going on at the moment. Understand the moment in history that you're talking about. This announcement from the federal government imminent at any moment to come out and say something like that would be bad for any AFL uh, any AFL player to do, let alone a captain. But when you're a club that has played three or four games in Tasmania for the last 20 years, built a strong level of relationship with Tasmanians, grounded in Launceston, not so much Hobart, but still. And when you're sponsored by the Tasmanian government to come out and say what you said has got to be one of the most brain-numbing, dumb moments I think I've ever seen. To people who are instead saying things like, oh, we can't get people to stay on the Gold Coast, we can't get people to stay on the Gold Coast, I'll point to you, I'll point you in the direction of what Alistair Clarkson said, which was look at Geelong as a regional place compared to Melbourne and Sydney, not a heck of a lot going on there. But it's the footy culture that the Cats have been able to build that has means that they're not only keeping players, but they're, they're getting players from other places. They want to come to Victoria. And they don't want to come to Victoria to play for big Melbourne-based clubs like Richmond or Collingwood or clubs that you know historically big but haven't done well in the last two decades like Carlton or Essendon. They want to go to Geelong because it's the culture that the club builds. You want to know why you can't keep players on the Gold Coast or Greater Western Sydney? Because there's no winning culture there. And players, understandably, want to go somewhere where there is a winning culture because they want that chance of winning the premiership. And that's what Geelong offers them every single season. If you can get that winning culture in Tasmania, the question of whether or not you can actually have a team that can retain players or you can get players from 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 elsewhere it's it's it should be it, it, i don't think it's that big of a problem i don't understand how people can point to the gold coast and point to tasmania and say it's the same thing i don't understand it i think it's crucial that tasmania the football team gets first access to tasmanian based football uh, football teams as their zone, as their recruiting zone, the entirety of Tasmania, they should have first access to them. It is crucial for a team like that. We've seen, we have seen, it's not just a winning or a lack of winning culture in the Gold Coast and Greater Western Sydney. That's the main reason, but it's not the only reason. It's also the go home factor. And it's not just them. We've seen North Melbourne, another team that struggled a lot at the moment. Jason Horn Francis wanted to go home after a year. We've seen that. Time and time again, Nathan Buckley in uh well, granted, that's not necessarily a situation of going back to back to your roots, but it is a point of you should be able to have access if you're a new club starting out, at least for a few years, doesn't have to be, you know, always, 
but starting up a club, they should get first access to Tasmanian, young Tasmanian talent so that they can then build a solid foundation off of that and they don't have to worry about their players after four seasons or so going to Victoria or going to Adelaide or wherever. If, if a winning culture can be built from a sustainable base of players staying and then wanting other players wanting to come to Tasmania to play for them, there's no reason why this club won't be a success. And for those saying that, well, what about their small population? Geelong's population is, if not around the same, it's kind of similar. It's not, I think maybe Hobart might have a bigger one. Don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm not an expert on, you know, medium to small size Australian cities and their populations, but it's around the same size. And if it works in Geelong, why can't it work in Hobart? Why can't, you know, why can't you have a situation where they play, you know, maybe a couple of games in Launceston and the rest of them in Hobart and get big crowds there? I'm super excited for Tasmania. It's about time that they get appreciated fully to the extent that they deserve by the competition and it's finally going to happen. Full kudos to them. On to the tipping for this round. And there are some monster clashes and some games that are very difficult to tip. It starts off in about a couple of hours' time or so, maybe just under a couple of hours. St Kilda versus Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. St Kilda supporters would be crying out loud, thinking, finally, we're not playing Port Adelaide in a home game in China. We're not doing that in Cairns. We're actually playing them at our primary home ground. How does it feel, St Kilda, to have an actual home game against Port Adelaide? Finally, the Saints have said, nope, you know what? We tried China. We tried Cairns. It's not working. Let's just play. Let's just play games, home games, at our home ground at Marvel Stadium. What a revolutionary concept. What a revolutionary concept. Port Adelaide coming with a great recent record against St. Kilda. I think it's like 11 out of the last 12 times they've played. They've beaten them. Um, It should be a very interesting game of football. Two teams that are absolutely flying at the moment. The Saints pop it a ladder. By far and away the best percentage in the competition. Here's another difference between them this time this year versus last year. Is that last year they were beating teams that were pretty bad unconvincingly. Now they're beating teams that are pretty good very convincingly, which is why I think it's more sustainable what they have this time around St. Kilda. Port Adelaide, couple of big outs. And they've had a really good run, but I cannot help but think that Port Adelaide's gap between their best and their worst is still way too far. I think, you know, it's a good win against the Dogs and a good win against the Swans, but they were pretty lucky to win that game against Sydney. If Ollie Florent were able to kick 40 metres, they would have lost that game. The Dogs, yeah, okay, it was a tough win. It was a good win, but again, it was only by 10 points. They beat the Eagles by 40 points. whoop de doo but it's the Eagles. You know, anyone could beat the Eagles. My nan could beat the Eagles single-handedly, and she's dead. So... Rest in peace, obviously. But for me, I think the gap between their best and their worst Port Adelaide is still too far. You never know what you're going to get. 
Is it going to be the nine-goal win against Brisbane, Port Adelaide? Is it going to be the 71-point loss to Collingwood, Port Adelaide? Uh, or is it going to be anywhere anywhere in the middle? You know, a good 10-point win against a great team or a six-goal loss against their cross-town rival? I think St Kilda's systems, I trust more than Port Adelaide. I think they're turning Marvel Stadium into a real fortress. And I think they're going to hold on and win. Because both teams are very difficult to score against, I think it's going to be low scoring. But I'm tipping the Saints to win by 14 points. We go on to Saturday afternoon footy, and it starts at the Gabba. And I can't believe I'm saying this. This was the game that I tipped to be the grand final matchup for this season. Wow, how the mighty Fremantle Dockers, the mighty Dockers who are mighty for just one season, uh, have completely fallen. The Lions, they're doing pretty well, but again, the last two weeks have been against pretty poor opposition, so I don't know if you can take a lot from that. Um, maybe it's played their sputtering forward line into some uh, into some form. I think they'll get the win, the Lions, pretty comfortably. This could get really ugly for Fremantle. I mean, if you could lose by 50 points against a team who you beat last year in the finals at your home ground, now you're playing against one of the premature contenders at their home ground. I think it's going to get ugly. I think Brisbane by about seven goals. It should be a very comfortable, very comfortable win for the Brisbane Lions then we go on to Battle of the Bridge, number 25. It's the Swans and the Giants from the SCG. First time in a while that the first, uh, well, actually, no, sorry, 2021, the first um, the first Battle of the Bridge was actually a Swans home game. I was going to say it's the first time in a while that the Swans have hosted the first clash between these two teams in a season. That was incorrect. Uh, but the Swans, they're kind of injured, get a couple of players back. I think Buddy's back. So if I looked at the team properly, uh, Giants, they're, they're putting in effort. They're putting in effort, and that's frankly, that's all you can ask for because unfortunately, talent-wise, they're not that great at the moment. I think the Swans, it's a bad week, bad week to be playing them, even with all their injured players out. I think it'll be closer than what a lot of people think because the Swans rarely blow teams out. I mean, I know they blew Hawthorne out of the water in round two, but... That was back when everyone thought the Hawks were tanking. Uh, I think the Swans will win by five goals or so. Would I be surprised if it's by more? Yes, I would be surprised. I would. I wouldn't be surprised if it's by more. I would be surprised if it's by less. The Swans should win this by at least five goals. The Dogs and the Hawks at Marvel Stadium. Dogs beat the Hawks by just enough in round 23 last year to get themselves into the top eight and then watched with delight as the Blues choked away that fourth quarter lead against Collingwood. Hey, Carlton supporters, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I get you. It hurts. Against Collingwood, it hurts. At least we didn't do that, though, to lose out on playing finals. Um, I think the Dogs, I look, look, right, I took the Dogs to finish bottom six this year. Could that still happen? Maybe. But I think I'm willing to say at this stage that I'm wrong about that. The dogs are really starting to click into gear. You can see what a difference Waitman is in that forward line, That just that providing that extra option. It means that your tours don't have to perform well every single week. Um, even, I think the Hawks' back line is pretty poor at the moment. 
I think the dogs, even if their pools aren't doing well, their smalls are starting to get into it a little bit. Their midfield is going to be too strong. Fontaine Pally, uh, early contender for the Brownlow this season. Dogs to win by about eight goals or so. Wouldn't be surprised if it's more. Then a bizarre Saturday night couple of matchups here. I don't know what the AFL were thinking when they scheduled these two absolute blockbuster games. Uh, but it's Melbourne versus North Melbourne at the MCG. Alistair Clarkson, I'm pretty sure he played for Melbourne too. So you could call it the Alistair Clarkson Cup. There you go. Who do I think will win the Alistair Clarkson Cup? Well, it wasn't that long ago that the Kangaroos, I think they won like 16 out of 17 games against Melbourne in a in a stretch not too long ago. Uh, dating back to when that ended, which was, I think, 2019. And since then, the Divas have been pretty dominant against them. The Roos challenged them last year, though, uh, back when the Divas won their first nine games of the year, played each other around 10 in the Indigenous round from memory. And the uh, the Roos were in front at halftime before the Divas kind of powered away at the end. I don't think it'll be this close. I don't think it'll be that close. The, the, the Kangaroos defensively, they're the worst team in the competition defensively. They can't take marks in a defensive 50. They lose one-on-one contests everywhere. Even if, if there are one-on-one contests, they leave loose players everywhere. I think Melbourne's forward line would be licking their lips for a massive score, and I'm tipping the Deeves by 10 goals at least. If the Roos get within 40 points, consider that a win, North Melbourne. The uh, As Kane Pawns, the North Mel- as Kane Pawns said, the North Melbourne victory parade has well and truly come to a stop, unfortunately, for them. We go on to, as I just look at how much my battery in my computer has left, 13%. Easy. Carlton travel west to Perth to play the Eagles at Optus Stadium. This is the game that I said that they might need to lose in order to actually address some of their problems. I don't think they're going to do that, though, the Blues, just because of how many injuries there are and just how much pressure that would bring on them if they do lose. I think this could be closer than what a lot of people think. I am tipping the Blues, though, by about 30 to 40 points, probably just enough to paper over the cracks uh, before a really brutal run of games. Starting in round eight, they play the Lions, the Dogs, from uh, getting the order of these games wrong, but it's the Lions, the Dogs, the Deeds, the Swans, and the Bombers in the next five weeks, Carlton. They better hope. They better hope that something changes those Carlton supporters because they aren't winning any of those games after the West Coast one, the way they're playing at the moment. Speaking of the Bombers, we go on to Sunday afternoon football at the MCG. I've got a ticket to go to this game. Am I going to go to this game? Maybe. Um, the I reckon if Essendon were playing almost anyone except for Geelong, I would almost be tempted to tip the Bombers because the last two weeks have shown the fact that their system, no matter who have been out with in, no matter who's been out with injuries or suspension, has held up really well against good, great quality opposition. Defeated Melbourne pretty comfortably, took the foot off the gas a little bit in the last quarter. The Bombers probably should have won by more, and then absolutely capitulated against Collingwood. But to be five goals up against arguably the second or the best team in the competition this season, Collingwood, depending on how you look at it. At three-quarter time, I think that's an effort that commands respect, even if that last quarter was absolutely disastrous. Um, but it's Geelong, and their forward line is firing, and I just think that Essendon's back line is going to struggle against the likes of Hawkins and Cameron. Um, although Cameron had a pretty quiet game when the Cats played 
Essendon in round one, 2022. Not going to talk about that game too much longer, though, because that was a disastrous one. I think this one will be a lot closer. I'm tipping the Cats by four to six goals. It will be a respectable performance by the Bombers. Um, On to Richmond versus Gold Coast at Marvel Stadium, a.k.a. the stadium that Richmond supporters never go to. And Damian Hardwick admitted the fact that he hated playing there. I still, to this day, do not understand why he said that. It is a stadium that is about a kilometer and a half or so away from the MCG. And they play, I, I mean, okay, maybe not a kilometer and a half, but still, it's pretty close. And they play there, what, maybe three or four times a season, Richmond? It's really not that much. Yet you talk about it like you're playing on the moon and you have to take a rocket ship to get there. I'll never understand Richmond's mindset about this. I'll never understand their fan base's mindset about this. Yeah, sure, why are we playing this game at the MCG? Just because you're not. Every single Victorian team has to play a home game at Marvel Stadium, and they do every single year, so just get over yourself, Richmond supporters. Gold Coast, backs against the wall. The Tigers will be feeling pretty good about their performance against Melbourne, but, geez, this, these two teams are really terrible at the moment. I just think Gold Coast, last two games against Richmond, they won, including at Marvel Stadium in 2021, was a great victory inspired by King. King looks back, by the way, against the Kangaroos, and I know it was against North Melbourne's defense, but Richmond with their injuries at the moment, and I think the Suns with King coming back in form will win this one by two points. As you can tell by the margin, I'm not confident in the slightest. Uh, Adelaide versus Collingwood to finish off the round, and just like gather round, we have the best game of the round at the Adelaide Oval to finish it off with. Jeez, this game should have been Friday night. It should have been Saturday night. Play this on Saturday night and put West Coast Cards in the last game on Sunday. I know you have to give West Coast games on Saturday just to make it seem like you aren't putting them always on a Sunday time slot. But seriously, why why the graveyard 440 time slot. Anyways, I don't understand. Adelaide versus Collingwood. I guess it's because of the five-day break coming off of Banzac Day. That actually makes a lot of sense. Adelaide versus Collingwood. I think the Crows, they got a real scare, but their system, their level of maturity is just great. And it it was um, first crack with David King that pointed this out. They go, They hit the front against the Hawks by three points late. Ball goes back to the center. And before the ball is bounced, one of their assistant coaches grabs the phone to relay a message downstairs and Matthew Nix stops him and seems to say, just let the players figure it out. And you see the 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 maturity of Dawson. What a great captain he's been, by the way. Could be captain of the year so far. Got Dawson, you've got Laird, you've got all these players pointing, 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 and it's great maturity. And they ended up winning because of it. Hollingwood. Geez, I gotta tell you, watching that game, they looked great in the last quarter, but I reckon that papered over a few cracks a little bit. Call me a salty Essendon supporter, all you want, Collingwood fans. But just like the Collingwood supporter who <laughs> flipped off Tyler Langford before Langford kicked that great goal, I do not give a damn. I am tipping the Crows to win in a thriller by five points. Last year was an epic at the Adelaide Oval. I think it was five points that Collingwood won by in that stretch of incredible games where they came from behind. I think the Crows are a lot better. I think their system works better than Collingwood. It should be a ripping contest. As for the game that I would bet my house on, 
even though I don't gamble and I do not condone gambling, if you do gamble, gamble responsibly, I would gamble my left leg and my flat on Melbourne beating North Melbourne on Saturday night. As for the game I'm most looking forward to, it's that Sunday 4.40pm time slot, the Crows and the Pies, it should be an absolute blockbuster. Dear listener, it's been so much fun, this solo episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast and for putting up with my voice for the last 45 minutes or so. Uh, please do join me and a co-host, hopefully, next week as we review round seven and all its tantalizing storylines yet to come and preview a monster round eight. Until then, sayonara. Sayonara.